everyone, and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am privileged to be joined by Rabbi Fischel Schechter, noted Magichir, Rebbe Marbitz Taira, author, speaker, writer, storyteller, in honor of the release of his brand new book, Did This Ever Happen to You? A brand new art school book. Thank you, Rabbi Schechter, for being here. My pleasure. How did you remember all those things? <laughs> all those titles yeah, of yours. Yeah, did you re- Can I know how you do wear many uh, hats? Yeah. yeah, I don't want to be the jack of, what does it say? Jack, jack of, of all trades, a master, master of none. Can okay. I know how to Rabbi Schechter? Right. You're a jack of many trades, and you're a master of them all, apparently. You're mashpi on many people. I and, think everyone uh, is a master in their own right, and the Yisiatu Dishmai in life is to find out where you're good at and stay away where you're not good at. Well, you're, you're reaching many people through many different right, mediums. Right, right. Is this your first book? And there once was an art scroll book with Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim Heritage Foundation, a while right? Ago, right? On Shmuris Haloshin. On Havas Chesed, I think. Chesed, Close sorry. enough, right? But that was quite a few years ago. Right. So this book really brings out your personality, if I may say. Um, you, you have a, a column that you write in the Hamotia. Correct, uh, Indian magazine. Indian yes. magazine, which is very popular. Mm-hmm. And this is the, the, it's that style of messages combined with stories and a lot of humor. I must tell you that reading it, I, I've been laughing a lot. And sitting in this chair, very often when I interview people, I talk about books that are inspiring. It's not so often that I talk about an art school book that's also very, very funny. <laughs> so for the viewers out there, they should know that this brand new book not only is inspirational, but it has a, a great dose of humor. So I tell people it's not so much that I have a sense of humor, it's just these things happen to me. So it's just... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they don't happen to other people. Right, but Weinstein writes my script, right. Uh-huh. right, right. So it's, it's a good feeling to make people laugh, it really is. And, and you do that live and now in, in writing as right, well? Right, And, um, you know, somebody once approached me and said, what about Litsonas and what about, is it proper, is it mockery? And I, so I asked... I asked my Rav, and um, he told me a member from the old school Lenin Rebbe, the Noim Eliezer, who said once that there's a very fine line between batchanis, which how would you uh, translate batchanis, which someone's getting up and just making people happy, and which is, of course, positive, and leitzanis, which is ultimately negative. Right. And he said that whenever you say a line or a story, have in mind three things. One is to make sure that it's not in someone else's cheshman. No one else is being heard over here. Mm-hmm. That you're delicately, you're not, you're not, 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 not in terms of a class of people or individuals. I mean, you say Galiziana, Polish, English, that's kind of, kind of acceptable. But no one really should have any Agnes Nefesh. You really have to scan and filter and filter, and I try to do. No one is going to walk away from here slightly, slightly hurt, mm-hmm. even if they say they're not. Second is that it should be totally clean. And when I say clean, obviously I don't mean more than clean. In other words, it has to be able, it has to be fine. Mm-hmm. And the third is that you really want to make people happy. You really want to make people happy because happy people, happy yidn are good yidn. And, mm-hmm. and it's an open up, it's a psicha salev, you open their heart for what's coming afterwards. And I try. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not perfect, but I really try to scan those three things. And you do, you do it quite effectively, and right. apparently people appreciate it because you, you do speak all over the world, and you're able to address all different types of audiences. Um, growing up, did you envision yourself as being this uh, globe-trotting Marbitz Tyrus speaker? And, 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 and uh, what, what was it like growing up? What did you think you were Maybe going the globe-trotting, probably not the Marbitz Tyrus speaker. I, I, I was zeichel to it. I don't know. I, must, I probably was schus avais or mm-hmm. my mother's tears, my parents supporting family, everything else. Or maybe it's like Hashem said, listen, this is what you have to do in this world. I don't try to do anything else, okay, because I'm just going to push you right back into it. Right. Where you did you go. grow up? Well, what's your background? 
So I was actually born in Crown Heights. Um, people say to me, what was your first speaking event? I'm sorry, I didn't want to take away your, your other question. No, no, go ahead. They always say what I heard from Ramat Ramalach. He said, once my first time I addressed an audience was by my Chumash student when I was three years old when I got up and said, you know, uh-huh. um, No, I grew up. Um, I grew up in Bar Park, essentially. And you went to Yeshiva? So I started out in, uh, there was a Yeshiva called Beis Yehuda, which was under the Debit Sina Rav. And uh, there I went to Beis Yitzchak for a while, and I was in Ber Shmuel, and then in Beis Medrash in Tervedas. Mm-hmm. And you basically haven't really left Tervedas since No, I haven't really left Tervedas. Tervedas is a hard place to leave. Yeah. Uh-huh. Who did you learn under in Tervedas? So I was able to learn by El Yechazan wow. for two years. I mean, I sat there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I learned. I sat there. I was listening. I was listening to the words. I heard a lot of words. I listened. I got an image of what it uh, used to be, and I was able to be with Palm. Wow. And Li Balam Echaim Echaim the Meshgich Revolson. So that was a very special. Ravelsky also was someone that uh, I think changed my life. Ravelsky mm-hmm. actually gave a homiletics course. And uh, I think I was 16 or 17 years old, and he, he got up to say my Dvar Torah, and he like, told me, okay, you're going to have to stick with this. And I thought it was a nice thing to say, but I guess uh, nice things that you have to... If they take very seriously nice things to say sometimes. Now, homiletics course, meaning what, what was that so in it, essence? It, yeah, in essence, it was to teach people how to address a rabbin. Wow. Rabbi Moshe Sher used to do it in Tervedas. Almost like an oratory course? Like that's a, what officially what it was. That's what it was? Yeah, somebody was wow. sponsoring it. But it really was kind of a sheer. So everyone got up and said it's about And you got a Haskama for Rabelsky said that Rabelsky you have a talent. You've got to keep doing this. You've got to keep wow. doing it. You've got to keep doing it. So he recognized that early he on. He recognized that early on. And uh, Rabelsky had a lot of Russians coming to the yeshiva and doing night classes. And he said, no, you go here and go there. And I said, I, I, I can't do this. He just, he didn't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. eventually, did that, what, what came first, teaching in the classroom or speaking publicly for you? People always say that to me. I, I'm not sure. I never really, cro- I'm not good chronic- chronicles. Um, my father, I was a Ben Yachid. I was born after 12 years. Wow. Okay. Ten years or twelve years, one of the two, I'm not sure, but somewhere along the lines. My parents were sole survivors, both of them were sole survivors. Mm-hmm. You can imagine what they went through in those, uh, in those twelve years. Wow. And there's a story that I've said it so many times, I'm probably coming out of people's ears, but uh, I'll just, just to kick things off. Um, if people want, they can fast forward through parts <laughs> they of the could, They know, could skip through they the skip. They can just close it. 100%. Anyway, so, right? That's how I feel about these interviews. <laughs> a live sheer, I have Rachmanis on the people. Here, like, I'm not forcing you to listen. You know, you, you no, we don't, we don't force people right. to listen. Like, right. We hope that they're listening for their leisure. Right, right. And we hope it's enjoyable enough that they're not jumping back. Right, so I know you may have, you may have heard the story. I, there, was, there was an old man who used to live on my block, and I taught him how to use you know, one of the hotlines, Kalushin. And he said he doesn't have patience. I said, you can fast forward. I showed him how you can fast mm-hmm. forward a sheer. And I came back after a while, and he said, it's not happening, it's not working. And I, I said, no, you're listening to a live shear. You cannot fast forward a live <laughs> shear. It's only a recorded shear. He says, you uh-huh. told me it works. I said, well, not. Well. Uh-huh. Anyway, so, um, so after like, I think it was 12 years, my mother, Lao Shalom, uh, there was no organizations that really helped with fertility and so on. And she had gone to a doctor on Park Avenue. And the doctor said to Mrs. Schechter, there's nothing else to do. And she tried to argue, and this is what he said to her. He said, when hair will grow on the palm of my hand, you're going to have a child. It was the end of the conversation. And she walked out, and she was quite dejected. And she said she felt it wasn't just she and my, it wasn't just, it wasn't just my mother and my father. It was like, you know, all her, her grandparents, her whole extended family, they were the sole survivors. And she got onto the Madison Avenue bus, and she said, I'm never getting off this bus. And the bus just went back and forth and back and forth. Toward the end of the day, 
um, the driver got up and said, ma'am, you got to get off the bus. And she said, no, I'm not getting off the bus. And she, she always said, he took off his hat and he said, he goes, Mrs., I don't know what your problem is, okay? But it's not going to get better if you sleep in a bus garage. Get off the bus and get on with your life. So she felt that that was like a message from Shemai. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know what, Rabbi Nishalayla? I'm not the one that decides what I'm doing with my life or how I'm doing with it, and I'll do what I have to do. And she got off the bus and said, whatever's going to be is going to be. And I was born a year later. Wow. Um, so my father really pumped me with a lot of stories mm-hmm. as a ben yachid. And, and I didn't, there, was no, there was no such a thing as me going to sleep without story after story wow. after so story. So you grew up with story. it? I grew up with it. It was like my heroes were the Rebbe Reb Zisha and the Rebbe Reb Melech and the Baal Shem Tev and, and the Chavetz Chaim. And it was just again and again and again and again. And um, it was kind of, yeah, something that, that was... Now was, your yeah. style of, of storytelling, which probably works very well in the classroom. Right. So, it, it, well, well, again, you, you can't eat ice cream three for three. You can't serve ice cream three... Three, three courses. Right, right. right. Uh-huh. It works if you know how to apply it properly. Uh-huh. So I was very into stories as part of my life. On the Shabbos table, we had a lot of guests. Um, my father, again, another story, which some of you have heard to me, maybe one time too many. Um, my father, during the war, they were, they were, they were, he was in Shanghai, which is a whole different story. It was not for now, but... They wound up in Vilna running from place to place, and they hadn't eaten in days, and they sat down by this yid, and he cut up some challah, and the boys took the challah, and he started yelling, I didn't tell you, you can take, get out of here. He probably didn't, just didn't have enough to go around, and they walked out, and they were quite displeased with him. They hadn't eaten in days, and my, my father said, you know what, Hashem, he said, look, I have no time as in anyone. If I live through the war, if I live through the war, then I will not wash without a guest. That was oh. a promise that he made, and he kept that promise. Oh. And we, we almost always had guests. Almost always, mm-hmm. um, yet steady people, wonderful people, Shiva Bachrim and the Shivas. And there were times that uh, if we didn't have, my father would go down to Shem Shabbos on the corner of the shul, with all kinds of different members of Klaal Yisrael. Mm-hmm. And he would bring back uh, a variety of very different kinds of, of, of people. Wow. So I grew up really with all kinds of people around the table. Mm. And I think that that gave me a certain uh, understanding of like, the, I never had a shoebox on top of me. I, I, think, I think it was always wide open. And that was a Kaddish Baruch part of a Kaddish Baruch plan, I think, to uh, open up a kind of uh, broader way of understanding who people are. Right. Now, you started teaching in the classroom how many years after you were married? When so did you start I was, teaching? So actually, what came first was um, Dailudav. Oh, okay. That came first. And that's a fascinating story on its own. So b- before you tell the Dial Daf story, I want to share a memory of my own. Okay. About 25 years ago, um, I don't know if I'm dating myself, when I was a bacher in Yeshiva Taratamima, there was a new cycle of Daf Yomi. I wish I could say that 25 years ago when I was a bacher. <laughs> you were a bacher. Dating yourself. Let's say 45 years ago. Okay. <laughs> so I decided to do Daf Yomi. Remember when we used to think if you're 40 or old? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I I remember, remember those days, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, <coughs> I decided that I wanted to do Daf Yomi, which is a little unconventional for the mainstream yeshiva system, and I didn't stick with it all the way through, but at least at the beginning. And so I had an art scroll Gemara, but I wanted to listen to a shir. And this is pre the app days and pre Kalashin. There were uh, various options. Dial Daf was around, but I remember driving my bike down 18th Avenue to the Mr. Applebaum's uh, Torah Tape sure, Library. Sure, I think it was Rebeir Applebaum. F- Applebaum. I think it was 50th Street. 50th and 18th, something like that. Between 18th and the dead end. Right? Between 18th and the dead end. Right. Second house off the corner, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember I went in. 
I got the tapes for the first, let's say, 10 blots of brachas. And I remember bringing it back to Yeshiva, Ben Astarim. I sit down with my little tape recorder. It was a dollar a tape, right? I think it was a dollar a and tape. When you gave it back, you got back a you quarter. Got back, you got back... Got back 75 cents. 75 cents. Right, right, right. right, 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 right. Got back 75 cents. And unless you were trading it in, I think you were able to keep going vital. You don't have to give more money. Right, right. Uh, and I sit down and I put He didn't make the Forbes top 10 by selling <laughs> no, definitely not. On this one, up there, yeah. Up there for but, sure. Ramey Applebaum was not, yeah, this was, was yeah. not, were not doing this it was for the money. Life, yes. This was his Oilam Habo. And I remember putting it to a tape recorder and I turn it on. You have to explain what a tape recorder is. <laughs> to, to the viewers. Yes, yes, okay. Anyway, yeah. I turn it on and there you are. Rapisha Shechter, it was you. You welcomed me into the world of Dafyaimi mm-hmm. 25 years ago. Soft, soothing voice. I don't remember exactly what you said, but I remember you said something about the fact and that people always say that. I remember your jokes. I don't remember the sheer, but <laughs> okay, at least at least by but association. But it was a, it was an unbelievable schus that nowadays there are many, many Dafyaimi Magidishir, right, all of right, them fantastic, right. unbelievable, really, one better than the other. They're, they're, they're super, but really you were from the pioneer. In English, they were in Yiddish. In English, in English right. In English. So I'll tell you a cute story. I was yeah. on a plane, and I was sitting next to someone, and he was telling me that he grew up in a quasi from school, but he had one Rebbe that was that was that was really very very into Kirov, and he. Do uh, you remember those days in class when you would listen to a thing? You had a thing in your ear, and the wire you would run the wire through your sleeve. So I'm not going to admit that gonna I know. Admit. So this way you could kind of sit in class like this, and it looked like you were learning. Anyway. So he said he was listening to Frank Sinatra, which is not, you know, much of a We heard, you know, that was okay. And his Rebbe looked at him and said, what are you listening to? And said, I'm not really listening to anything. I'll do whatever. And he took it. He said, so his, he said his punishment was he had to sit the entire lunch and listen to a Daffy Yemishir. So uh-huh. the kid I was hardly from, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And he said he popped in one of my tapes. And he's listening. Listen, he bursts out laughing. <laughs> So the Rebbe accused him of changing the tape to some comedian. He said, what are you, I, did you change the tape? He said, no, I didn't, honestly. What are you laughing? I said, well, you listen, you know. <laughs> and uh, I remember even the joke I made, but we'll leave it for now. <laughs> but uh, so he said it was, it, was, it was you, and you started with a... started with a Right, yeah. and he said that you should know that that got him into learning, into well, listening. Yeah. He said, you have any more of these gemaras here? <laughs> And he said is that he's been learning Dafiyami uh, pretty much off and on since then. Since then. Yeah, but that, that really got his interest. Now he himself is a mishpia. Wow. Now, I cut you off. You were about to tell. How did you get uh, hooked up with Dialed after you started delivering a, a Dafiyami shir? Okay, so here's an interesting story, and I think it's an important lesson also. People have, I think it's, it may be in the book somewhere, but I don't remember. But I was in Camp Tervedas. Remember Camp Teradas? No, you don't I, remember Camp Teradas. I, I was very young. Very when, young. Yeah, yeah. There was a camp called Camp Teradas. It was the camp. It, this was the camp. This was the place to be. And there were two parts to the camp. The one part was where the counselors were, and the other part was the masmidim and the you know the holy holy part and the part that was making other kids holy. Everything was holy, but just in different ways. And I was learning, you know, all day because whatever I was, you know, a masmid supposedly, and. But I love plays and I love stories. And when Kalua came, I was like, I would sneak over the fence and I would help them. And once they offered me to be like some kind of lieutenant, something in Kalawar, and in those days, Kalawar, it, it, it was different. It was like, I, you can't imagine what it was like. I mean, the people that won Kalawar were on a high the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. the purple that The ones that lost and needed therapy, they were like gone. They were like, you see, 25-year-old people, kids crying. It was like, and uh, they offered me to really be, uh, be part of the play in some position. And I was so excited, but they said, I have to ask the Meshgiach. 
and the Ravosus Lita, and because um, officially I belong to the other side. Mm-hmm. So I went over to him and I said, you know, it really bothers me, the, the stories they have today for color war. Everything's about shooting and detectives and what's with the good old Balshemtov stories and the flying wagons? So he said, yeah. So therefore I just want to go like, I'm, I'm going to go in, I'm going to straighten it out. Notice I avoided asking the question, I just mm-hmm. wanted to just come. But he was a couple of years ahead of me, and he said, okay, but what does that have to do with you? I said, uh-oh. So I started again, you know, I want to, it's like all the, sh- everything today is with shooting and with guns. I understand, what does that have to do with you? So I said, like, I want to be part of the plays. So he said, for whatever reason, that it was like three days of no learning and no davening and no eating and, and he, the environment, and he said, whatever, where I was coming from, and I, I don't think you should do it. I remember my, my, my heart almost fell out of my hmm. thing. And I started to argue, and he said to me, this is a good rule in Chinuch, he said to me, okay, so do what you want. And I was stuck. So he would have said, don't you dare do it. And if you do it, you're going to be thrown out of camp. So there's that bacher in me that would have said, okay, okay, let's see. Let's see if he throws me out, you know. Right. But because he said, okay, so do what you want, that meant that what I was doing, I was defining myself. Right. I'm not going to stop you. You asked me, I'm telling you. So I was stuck. I, I told him, I'm not, I'm, I'm resigning. And it was very, very difficult for me. I was a 17-year-old. I, I was a good boy. I sat and learned. It's not like I, I tried, you know, but it was hard for me to learn. This would have been my, my chance, you know, to, to, for fame and... You know, you can't be any greater cover than color war in camp. Right? Couldn't, I couldn't think higher than that. And I sat in the Mishmash for three days and I cried like a baby. And my Mishnah, I remember, so I opened up a Mishnayas, I remember, and it was Perik Shoshnarach as a para, okay? And I was just started learning. And I said, I'm going to be here for three days because I couldn't bear to see everyone else. Having a good time. Having a good time. It was just, you know, we had a good time on the other side of the fence also, but just this, this was my chance, you know? And uh, I remember I started, I said, I'm not going to sit here and klutz for three days. And I started to learn. And something opened up in my mind in learning. Because I'm not going to say I never learned till then, but I, I learned all the Taisus Yom Tev, Rebbe Kiva Egers, and I looked up every single thing. And something happened in those three days. Okay, I survived it, believe it or not. I survived the post-trauma, and the summer was over, and <coughs> life went on. So fast forward that year, Rabbi Tolansky was a dormitory, Meshkiyach Shavu Lech and he came over to me and said, they were looking for an older bacher to give a shear to some of the younger bacher. And Mishnai uh, is between supper and night seder, and I said, can I learn perik shashnarach as a par? He said, learn whatever you want. And I learned with them. We had a bunch of kids, very some of them by far outgrew me uh, in many different ways. There was one kid that was struggling, and he was crying, and I felt so bad for him. I said, I am going to make, you know what, I'm going to make a tape for you. <laughs> and I made a tape of the Mishnai, I knew Mishnai a par. And uh, I gave him the tape, and he was listening to it, and, and it helped, and it felt good, and that passed, okay? So now, uh, chapter three, fast forward, I'm married, and Eli Teilbaum has this great idea, and people are going to call in and hear a shear. It was unheard of. Mm-hmm. I want to say, never mind that there were no cell phones then, there were no home computers. Right. This was before sure. home computers, there was sure. none, right? It was, it was we're, talking about, we're talking about 1980s, right, now? Right? Yeah. Early 80s. Yeah. We're talking Probably. about 40 years ago. 40, Probably 40 years, 40 years ago, yeah. You know what it means, no cell phone? I'll tell you what it means. It means when you made a bracha in the morning, shaloyah sani of it, it was not a bracha levatola. That's what it meant. <laughs> and there were, there were, Yetzirah had his ways, by the way. We weren't, we weren't Yetzirah free. Don't think that. He yeah. always. So, but he had this idea, you're going to call in and listen to a shir, and it, he, he walked into his place, it looked like, I don't know how to explain it. It looked like, you know, uh, some kind of mad laboratory. A bunch of in, in his basement, right? Basement. I should mention Rabbi Tadabam was my Rabbi. There you go. You Fourth see. grade Rabbi. Yeah. So we Rabbi of There was like a bunch of tape recorders piled up and the lines went in and there were cassette tapes turning and flipping and there was a whole... 
and Edwin said it's not going to work. It was his own contraption of, of, of calling him. And uh, it, it, it worked. The system worked. And, and you only heard the daf at the beginning of the hour. In other words, it, right. if you called in... You a, have to call in because... you called was... in a quarter after, you were 15 minutes into the daf. And um, then I thought, maybe I can do a daf. And I was just a little alive. Nothing. I was a young guy. So I, by mistake, not so by mistake, left the cassette tape with the Mishnayas on his, on his desk. And I said, let's see. Let's see what happens. And uh, the next day I came by, I happened to come by, you know, I left my handkerchief there or something, and I goes. And he said to me, like, you know, when a shatchan says, don't call me, I'll call you, you know, that's kind <laughs> yeah. of what he said. I said, okay, I tried, you know. And then, fast forward, so they're up to Masech this Mayed Cotton, and I walk in there at night, I'm way home from Night Seder, and uh, of course my wife told me I was my Night Seder the entire time, right? Of course. I stopped her for a minute, yeah. And I walked in there just to see, you know, help out. Listen, helping out with Torah is also learning, right? You know, sure. I help out with it. And I walked in there, and there was a showdown. There was a man who said he doesn't want to do Perik Elum Agalchen, which is the uh, Perik in Maid Cotton that deals with the Allah of mourning and Avelis. And he said, I don't want to do it because it's a battlement. So Ellie said, You want to skip it? It's part of Shas. What do you mean? So he said, uh, um, uh, He'll do the whole Masechta. So it gets swallowed in, but he won't just do this this parik exclusively. So Eli said to him, but other people already worked on the entire oh. Masechta. I can't take it away from him. He said, if you don't give me the whole Masechta, I'm taking back my tapes. He had his tapes in a bag, and I'm walking out with them. Eli Talbot was the wrong person to threaten. Okay, <laughs> so he says, "I'll leave." He said, "You're not going to have the tapes. I'll leave. You're not going to have the tapes. I'll leave." Oh, so he said, "I'm going." He said, "Go," you know, and he left. And I said, "Eli, what are you going to do?" And he looked at me and said, "Like Shachter, you know." You know the saying in Yiddish, when the Mokam She'enish is herring fish, you know, if there's no one around? He said, give it a whirl. Go for it. So I was up the entire night. I was up the entire night. I, well, first of all, I was scared. I was really scared about something. It's a hot potato. So, uh, you know. <laughs> it's like getting the, getting the teichacha. Yeah, yeah. So the Rechel Shrifka Rebbe just moved into Bar Park that night. It was the first night I think he was open to the public. And I, and I went to ask him. He said, do it. So I said to him, but is it a bad thing? You know, is it chas v'sham? He said, no, anything in Torah is, is bracha. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference. Just you do it. So I said to him, you know, I'm sorry for fasted. We learned the Eli Magalchen. So he told me, I'm sorry for fasted. We learned the Eli Trefus. I'm sorry for in Yonam, but it, 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 I'm telling you, do, you're good. You're good to go. Okay, he gave me the bracha. And I was up the entire night and did it and redid it and redid it and redid it. And... There it was, and I gave it to him, and it, and he, it just had a certain chain, had a certain siyad d'shmai, and all of a sudden I was, I was good to go as part of the rotation. Uh-huh. But I always think I could have said to the mashgiach then I could have said, well, he told me I can do what I want, right? Mm-hmm. And I could have acted in the play, and I would have reached my fame. You know what I mean? And then I would have been, I don't know, working on a computer someplace the rest of my life, uh-huh. I wouldn't be, and I wouldn't be good at it. Uh-huh. So you got to be careful for those moments in life where Hashem gives you an opportunity, and it usually comes with some level of sacrifice. Or disappointment. Or yeah. disappointment, right. So you got to look, and I think that's, a, that's to a great degree the theme of the book. Take those disappointments and convert them. Because underneath, there are usually switches to, to bracha, mm. to where you are. Now, it, it's, it's an interesting question I ask. Whenever I, I'm zeichet to have mechanchem in this chair, which I've been fortunate to have over the, over the past few years, I ask them, what do you find the differences in being mechanach when you started, which is a few decades ago, to today, what do you find to be the major difference in terms of the children that you're dealing with? Right, so I must have heard, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard that question in my life. Honestly, it's just that the Sahara ch- changes his cloak. Guys. Guys. Right. But we had honestly nice and we had our tests. And I remember there was like, you know, um, I think kids are kids. 
Um, technology definitely changed the face of it. You know, what a kid can do, you know, walking into a bathroom when no one is looking, holding it on his phone and locks the door, and where he would have to have traveled to Manhattan or to mm-hmm. travel to where else. And that's obvious. But, but having said that, the Yitzhara was always here, and kids were always kids. Mm-hmm. And I think, if anything, Chinuch has changed radically for the better. Mm-hmm. What a classroom looks like and what, what, what right. we're doing with kids. And unfortunately, I'm not in denial of, of, of those that are falling out. But I think that if you look at those that are staying in and, 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 and those that are coming around, I think Chinuch is, is, is... Honestly, do I see a real difference in kids? I said that the Chayzer said before Mashiach is going to come um, that uh, the Dar HaMabal... Was, could have been the Dar of Mashiach, and they blew it, right? The 40 days of rain could have been Kabbalah Satira. And uh, then they came down again as the Dar of Midbar, but they couldn't be Mashiach because they're just, it's not fair, you're surrounded by Ananiya Kavitz. So before Mashiach is going to come, Hashem is going to send Dar HaMabal and Dar HaMidbar in one generation. Mm-hmm. And you'll have to sort it out, and that's going to be the goal. And I think that's what we have today. In a way, we have Torah like we never had before. We have kids that have a cheshik to learn. We have kids that want to learn. You have fathers that are Tamidah Chachamim. And you have yeshivas, and you have the Moises Atayra, and you have, uh, well, art scroll, and you have the ability to learn and everything else. And on the other hand, there are tests that there never was. So I don't think anything is different today. I think mm-hmm. it's just an accumulation of all the Yetzirah of the generations and the Yetzirah of the generation. And Hashem says, sort it out now, because mm-hmm. this is it. We're up the perception, the anyway, I, I think the, the general perception is that it's hotter than ever because the children... Don't have the zitzfleisch they used to have. That's true. Have. That's true. Their, their but attention you know span is shorter. I don't remember and so on and so teaching forth. 35 years ago that it was so easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, no, but that's refreshing to hear. That if you feel that kids are kids no, and no. and will work then, will work I now. Think our kids are kids. Kids, kids are kids. kids. So what always tell the kids is that God wasn't taken by surprise. Because technology, smartphones, internet—they never watched a thing. Tyre is in danger. Russia creates everything. He created this. So why would he do that? I said, I don't know. Why did he make wars? Why, why, why is there a Spanish Inquisition? I said, Every, why, why, why did your great-grandfather struggle with Shemir Shabbos? Every generation from Har Sinai till Mashiach has its challenges. This is by design our challenge. It's not Hashem mm-hmm. was taken by surprise. This is our challenge. This is, we're going to take it and go with it and do our best with it. And this is our bracha to, to the world. This, this is by plan. Mm. No, I, I think it's important. And that's an important message for kids to yeah, hear. Yeah. Now, when you speak to adults, typically... You go around, you're invited for a Shabbos or to speak at, an, at events. Is there a particular topic that you find that you're speaking about it again and again? Is there a universal message that you try to share? How, how do you typically, you know, if, it's, if you're speaking at a Moisid's event, so you're going to speak about the Moisid, you speak about Chinuch, you speak about Chesed, whatever that organization. In other words, money, right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yes, in other yes. words, money exactly. Right, right. But when you when you when you go away for Shabbos, you're speaking multiple times over a Shabbos. Um, what, what generally is your message? So Shabbos or in a camp, sometimes there are themes. We want to stay around the theme, but I think mm-hmm. the real thing is just to see the Rebbeinu Shlom in our lives. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, people always ask me, how come you have stories? How come I don't have stories? And the answer is, I said, we do. You just have to see it. Uh-huh. You just have to see it. Feel the Hashgacha practice. Feel. Just feel that a Kaddish Baruch Hu, you're not a number. Hashem created you. He knows who you are. He's behind you. He's watching you. He's rooting for you. He's invested in you. And then begin to see it, begin to see it in your lives. Um, and then just take everyday life and apply it. Which is really what and, you do. In, happens. That's right. really what you do in this book right. very much. Right. Right. We're talking about real life scenarios. Uh, most of the stories are things that happen to you. 
They're not just you know stories that you heard, right? And right. you and you bring out the, the, the human element and the part of it. And people always say you created a story. There's no real story. You created the story. I said no. There is a story. You don't, most people don't see it. Right, right. But there, there 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 is a story. But that's what's so charming about it that you're able to bring it out in a very very human way, right? right. Um, and in, in a very very humorous way, which is uh, what makes it very special. And I think that's why, especially nowadays, when people are very weighed down, I, I think that is a difference maybe from from the years ago that we were talking about, maybe Chinuch is similar. I do think the Arum and Arum of our lives are different in that people are much more harried now and much more under stress. I've, I've asked people of the previous dar yes, if they agree, right, right. and they agreed. They agreed. They, they, My mother, Lala Shalom, used to say, in the Haim, she says, back at home, nobody made a living, but we lived. I mean, here people make a living, people are making livings, but they don't live. But they don't live. Alive, right. Exactly. Just, just take a moment to stop and think. Take a moment, right. take a breather, stop and think. Right. So right. Rav Segel once told somebody he went to work, he said, I, I want you to have special kavanah by certain words in Shemon Esrei. So he said to me in the first bracha of Shemon Esrei, he said, no, that's halacha. So when you say the words of al-nisecha, shabchol yamimano, the miracles that took place for you every single day. So I want you to think in your mind, make a mental note of the miracles. He said, well, if I can't find any. He said, mm-hmm. then you're not thinking. You're not thinking. Think. And I think that... Um, you know, people come to me and, 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 and they'll say, my Shabbos table, it's, 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 it's a disaster. You know, I come, I prepare so hard. Mm-hmm. I, I prepare the tzais and the sivas and the drush, and I got up there and the, what if the kids aren't sitting there? My two-year-old is not willing to be patient. I said, it's good, you know. And, and you try to describe the kids fighting and things turning over, and I said, that's what makes us laugh. Mm-hmm. That, 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 just learn how to live with it. Learn how, learn how to make it part of you. Now, learn, learn how to enjoy it. Learn how, learn, learn how to share with it. It's not supposed to be by route. People look at you as a source of chizuk, very much. Right. Um, they, that's what they hear from you. Inside inspiration. Do you find that there are people that people are coming to you with a, a need for chizuk in particular areas? You know, whether it's shaduchim, shalom bias. You mentioned before about kids falling out of the system. We'll call them kids at risk. These are all very, very parnasa is, is a tremendous challenge. Do you find that there are specific areas that people are being meyayitz by you? You know, Rabbi Shechter, help me. I need, I need a, I need a life preserver. Help me get through this nesayin. Not just me. I think anyone that's l'chanach and anyone that has a friend and anyone that's Rabbi someone who has a voice like you also. Lamed, right? Um, yeah, sure. People are really, people are really going through the grind. Yeah. People are really, really. You know, sometimes it's, you, you can't imagine what people are going through. And what do you do when and they come to you with that? What, what, what's listen, your response? Just listen, listen. listen. I don't have a magic wand. I always tell them. I wish I had a magic wand. And I'm not going to talk down to you. And I'm not going to make you believe that I am Mr. Betachin and I don't have a problem in the world. And I said, you know, I remember a friend once saying, when my check engine light goes in my car, I fall apart. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and by me, it's a near tummy in my car. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, no, what I, what I try to do is I try to validate their feelings and equate myself. I said, yeah, I'm going th- I go through the grind also and I have my scares also. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how I dealt with it. And I know it's not as bad as yours. But I think what people, re- what people really, really need is to listen. An ear to, to, for someone to hear them. Mm-hmm. And the Rabbi Nishim works that way. Uh, you know, when, when I'm listening to you, the... And if you're listening to him and he's listening to you, gosh, I'll listen to you, even if you're not deserving. I think if we took the time to listen to people, and I always say it, I say it to my kids, I say it to everyone, I say it to me, how, how much of the day did you spend listening to someone? Not trying to find a potential customer, just 
give someone the time. Just, just listen. Um, we, we don't have people, you know, remember you used to write letters? You used to write letters to your parents? Sure. I actually did. Right? When I was in Camp Silver Lake, yeah. I used to write, uh, I know this is not about me, but I used to write a card home every day. Every single day. Wow, wow, for, wow. for all my years in Camp Silver Lake. Talking about probably really? seven and you have years. Your mother has them? My mother saved them. Wow. Then when I went to learn... Why did you write a book? <laughs> a book of those cards. I'll interview you. I'm you remember you Rahoma Shane put out a book of her, right, right, of right, her, her letters. letters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. when I went to learn Eretz Yisrael, my brother had done this before me. I have one brother. And he wrote letters home. So when I learned in Eretz Yisrael as a bacher, every week I would write like five, six pages home. Really? That was the beginning of my writing career. Wow. And uh, my mother has them. Yeah, wow. so I did write wow. letters. So I remember when I was in camp and I would write a letter to my parents. They remember when I would write a letter, um, when I was in Israel, I never learned it, but I was there. It, there was, remember those airmail letters, the blue sure. airmail letters, right? Sure. And <coughs> when I would sit down to write, I said, let me be careful what I'm saying. Because if I say I have a cold, my mother's going to think I have pneumonia. Right? I mean, <laughs> sure. if I say I have fever, she's going to come running with it's all. I, I, you know, let me, and, and I had to think about my parents and I had to think what I was writing. And I was totally focused on them. And when I got a letter, it was, it was very important to me when I got a letter from my parents. I waited at night till everybody was sleeping until I read it. And I right. said, but today, who writes letters? Because why write a letter, right? When my first son went to Eretz Yisrael and we were all so emotional and we were so like, uh, can't believe it. And you know, he's, he's, you know, and then when he would, he, he, he would call and it was like once a week and you know, it was more expensive and I would think before what I'm going to say. By the time I, my, my bunch of sons down the line, it was like, Okay, it's like, do me a favor, run to the corner, Tom, in your shalim. Oh, I forgot. Okay, just, you know. Because he calls me three times a day. It's like, you know. Right. So I said, because he's so accessible in your shalim, I, I never had that time where I sat down to... To think. Right, other than there's a story in the book. I say it happened to someone else, but it really happened to me, um, which is quite, uh, to, you know. But uh, I remember when my first son came back from Eretz so we were so emotional, and we hung up balloons and, and pictures, and we were counting down, we had chart, we counted down the days, and... And he begged me not to come to the airport, you know, because we make like a scene. And, and we waited outside for the car to come in, and the whole family was there. And then, then like, six, seven sons later, like, I'm laying in bed at six o'clock in the morning, and I said, who is ringing the bell at this time of the day? And I opened up the window, and there's this kid that was suitcase. I said, your son's coming home today? What? You know? And then when I came to show, I said, so he came in. I said, do me a favor. Can you take the welcome home sign and hang it up? Because if the kids see we missed it, they're going to be upset. And as soon as you finish, let me tell you what, I need the garage. I'm waiting for you to clean it out, you know? So um, I, I think that because we couldn't communicate so easily, we had to focus on people when we spoke to them, when we wrote letters. And, and today we lose it because we're so accessible. We don't, we don't uh, which is why davening also. You have to like, you know, you know what the mile of a cell phone is? You can close it before davening. You can make a statement. I'm trying to close the world out and I'm, I'm trying to focus on you. The, uh, the truth is I could sit with you for, for, right, right. for, for so many uh, so for hours, ask you questions. I want to ask you a couple more things that uh, if I ever got a chance to sit with a official yes. chef, I would want to ask. You're a master storyteller. You're a master speaker. I love listening to you. I, I never get bored. It, like you, you seem to pull the listener in very quickly, and you just keep them there, engaged. What, what? You should have been in my class. You would have a different opinion <laughs> when I taught eighth grade, but okay. <laughs> Somehow I don't think so, but... Yeah. Um, what tips could you give to ordinary people who do speak sometimes in public or to people who are striving to be talented orators, or okay. orators and they want to reach people? What is the key to success? The key is assess the situation. I always say every speech is four speeches. It's a speech you prepare. It's a speech you say. 
It's a speech like, ugh, could have said better. And it's the speech that people hear. Mm. And usually it has no connection to each other. The worst thing is when you come in with a, with a script and you're not connecting to the audience, but you, but you can't get out of your script. Uh-huh. And you're just going on and on. You have to have a feel. You have to have a sense. Okay? Do you do that a lot when you prepare a speech? You come to an event and you totally change course? 100%. All the time? Always. Wow. <laughs> my problem is when I want to look up later what I said the year <laughs> afterwards, I'm looking at these notes and I say, well, that doesn't help me because there's no shine. That's not what I said. So what Rav Shalom used to say what, what goes into your head at the moment is, uh, is you know, what you're supposed to say. So sometimes you have a feel for something mm-hmm. and you want to say, but it happens to me all the time. Yeah, you, you want to say, but um, when I prepare my notes, I'm going to say, okay, I, 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 there's an opening, there's, there's humor, there's, there's a Dvar in a story. And everything is focused to get that Dvar in. It's all the package, it's all the cream to get mm-hmm. it in. Okay? If I stretch that Dvar too long, I lost it. Mm-hmm. Then I lost it. And what they say about a speech, you need a good beginning and a good end and the smallest distance in between. <laughs> but to have say where you're also, you gotta buy a simcha to speak. Right. So no one came there for your speech. So one, two, three, punchline, I sit down. Right? Mm-hmm. We are coming you to speak, so you, you, you're, you're giving them. You feel where you are. I never talk down to a crowd. Never talk. I think the problem today is if we would wash Nagelwasser properly, it would be different. You know, <laughs> that may be true. Okay, right. you're not getting the audience that way. Right. Right. Tell them a good funny story about Nagelwasser, and then roll it in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Never, ne- never a direct one, two, three punch. Just come around from the back door. Interesting. And I always say, this, people will call me to, about a certain thing, and I'll start telling a story. And they go, where's he going with this? And I said, now I'm on target. Okay? Uh-huh. I need people to ask, where where's we he going? Then I made little tricks in the trade. <clears throat> when you see people falling asleep, this always works. But don't tell them. This is between us, okay? <laughs> I always say, the next story, I really should not be repeating publicly. Everyone wakes up. Tell me. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this. I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Like, <laughs> everyone pays attention. Okay, then everyone pays attention. You get, you get certain key words and you get everyone in. Uh-huh. And like everything else, it's Siyat Nishmaya. You know? So I have this thing that I like to learn a Perik Mishnayas before I give a speech. Really? Well, You're going to ask why. Because I have found in my career, as with speeches like with everything else, there are times it's, it's great and it's successful and there are times it flops. And I always found whenever I said, this is such a great speech, I am going to have this crowd. They're going to be, I've got a standing ovation. They're going to be roaring. Flat. Oh. So I say, okay. In other words, you got to say, Rabbi Nishalaylam, I need you. You got to say, Rabbi Nishalaylam, I need you. So I always say like this, and right before the speech, I want to look over my notes one more time. Now, I want a parrot Mishnah that has no shaykhs to this whatsoever. So the way I'm saying, Rabbi Nishalaylam, I know good and well, okay? Bottom line is, chain means, Rabbi Shamsha Fuller says the word chain comes from the word chinam. For, if people are going to like this, if people are going to like me, if I'm going to be funny, if I'm not going to be funny, the siyat nishmai I need for humor, for a joke, not to hurt anyone, it's in your hands anyway. Mm-hmm. I do mind you do yours. Mm-hmm. I want to show you that I know it's not up to me. Uh-huh. So therefore I'm learning uh-huh. mishnayas now, which I know has no shaykhs to it, I'm doing this and you do yours. I always do it. And if I forget to learn that parik mishnayas, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I, I really believe that. I, I, well, feel, I, I feel... Uh, a special siyat nishmai. Yeah, yeah. Do you keep, do you have like a Rolodex at home of... of uh, Folders or store, you know, of stories on I topics. Do, but I can't find them. I'm, I'm <laughs> not a very organized person. But if I was an organized person, I would lose half the stories in this uh-huh. book. And most of the stories are we're in the bunch of us. Every shower, I don't have my keys. You know, uh-huh. like, that's where most of the stories come from. So, because because it, it, I would think it's it, kind it, I of do hard. In my head. I do in my head. You in do my in your mind, head? I do. Uh-huh. In my mind, I do. Because someone calls you up, I need you to speak for Kupas uh, something. 
So right away you have to start. Uh, My you problem know, is when someone says I'm speaking like Shabbos and I can give me a good story and a good joke. I I I gotta get into it. So I feel, yeah, yeah. You know, I gotta get into it the way I would get into it for myself. Right, right, right. But um, sometimes it's hard to give over the story to someone else because part of the the chain of the story is you saying it. Right. It's right, not just right. the story itself. Right. right. People will like. Yeah. I have the story in the book. This guy that. Uh, he was, he's, a, he's a real tough lawyer, and he said, I have to speak to my son's bar mitzvah. And I said, no, 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 no. Don't speak, it's good, I tell you. It's not your thing. No, my wife says, and I have to say. You get up there and you say, just thank you everyone for coming. Thanks, Uncle Aaron, for coming from Baltimore. Thanks, Tante Bercha, for not coming, and whatever, whatever you say. And we go, and my wife said, we need some humor. I said, you need humor? You'll speak, that'll be the humor. He said, come on. So he said, I said I'm gonna, you're going to read a joke from a script. It doesn't work. Okay, so I, I gave him this simple joke. I said, you know, there's bar mitzvah boy, and one person brought him a mishnah brewer, the other person brought him a kiveg, and one person brought him an umbrella. He said, why are you bringing me an umbrella? I want to bring you something you're going to open. So he gets up there and he goes, I want to tell you this f- unbelievably, amazingly funny joke. And I'm saying, oh, no, 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 no. no. You never start a joke by saying it's going to be a very funny joke. And then he goes, they once gave a bar mitzvah boy an umbrella to open. And people are staring at him, and no one's laughing, because they didn't know it was a joke. Now, every speaker knows if a joke falls flat, you don't need to beat a dead horse. You move on, right? He's, so he's going, but you don't get it? They, they gave him the permit, umbrella to open. I said, he said, what did I do wrong? I said, first of all, never introduce a joke that is very funny, because it will never be very funny. Right. And I said, what makes people laugh is the element of surprise. Okay? If you're expecting him to open a safer, and instead he's opening an umbrella, that may that's or may fun. not as funny. But if you're starting the joke that he's opening the umbrella, that's nothing funny about opening an right. umbrella. And then I said to myself, but that's what life is, right? The more we think things are coming to us, we're not happy. What makes us happy? The when surprise element. element. Surprise. Right. God, you don't own me, right? I, mean, I, I, I said that there's, there's, there's these horrible earthquakes, Rahman al-Islam, you know, heart goes out to the people that are suffering. But their whole house caved into them, caved in on them. The house became their graves. Do you ever think when you walk into a house that it's a gift that your house is standing? Just the, the least you take for granted, then the happier you are in life. Then, then, then you're laughing yourself, and there's simcha in your own life, oh. as I think. On that note, yes. we'll leave with that message. We okay. thank you. Thank you for always being a tremendous source of practical inspiration. You really, you really talk to people. It's Dvar Mayoitim and Halev. Honestly, I, I talk to myself. And uh, I want to thank you, Rebbeton, okay. who came out yes, yes. to, to uh, join us for this interview, to watch. Okay. Um, and make I know sure that I behave, yes. <laughs> make sure you behave. Right, right, right. But uh, she is your, your Azer, and yes, she's behind 100%. you. Yes. And we thank her for her contribution, for allowing you to dedicate yourself to the Tzibur. Uh, can't do it out, no question about it. <laughs> your chinuch, your yes. stories, your inspiration, you should continue. Okay. This should be the first book of many. Amen. Okay. And we look forward to continuing to hearing from you. Thank you so much. Thank you for this class. Thank you thank for you. being here.